Good morning, everyone. How are y'all? Y'all enjoying this nice spring weather? Boy, I am too. Last week, Steve kicked off a, a new series that we're on. It's called the, what? Do you remember? The Great Commission. That's what our whole new series for probably the next six or, or seven weeks are about. And so I'm going to continue with that today. I don't know if you know this, but do you realize that less than 30% of born-again believers have said that they've actually shared their faith or they've led someone to Christ for as long as they've been a Christian? Many churches today don't even have a purposeful plan for evangelism. And what they've done is they've resulted and settled for recycling church members in the place of true evangelism. Those that actually have some type of plan, many of them speak of this angry, vengeful God who's just waiting for someone to mess up. And I want to tell you this morning that God's not angry this morning. If you were a born-again believer, he's not angry with you. He's not angry with you. Jesus settled all that on the cross. If you don't know Jesus this morning, I hope to give you an opportunity later on towards the end of the service to give you that. But people have grown weary of our gospel of judgmentalism. Do you agree? They see us coming a mile away. And I think many times that we don't share the truth about God. That he's a good heavenly father and he loves people. And so people have grown weary. You say, well, Bill, then, then what's the point? What's the point of sharing the gospel? And it's this. Because the gospel still sets sinners free from their sin. The gospel still delivers the lost from destruction. But most importantly is that it introduces this loving, kind, heavenly father to those who just simply don't know him yet. And so this morning, that's what I want to talk to you about. I want to talk to you this morning about why it's so important for each of us to share our faith. What are some of the obstacles that we'll run into when we make that attempt? And I think most importantly is this. Is that when we don't share the gospel, do you realize what's at stake? Do you really realize what's at stake? And I'm going to share that with you this morning. And I want to show you how Jesus, the greatest evangelizer that ever walked the face of the earth, how he did it. So if you will, I want you to turn to Matthew 28. Matthew 28, 19 through 20. 19 through 20. Now you guys know this scripture, but I'm going to read it for you anyway. It says, go therefore make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I have commanded you. You know, of all the things that we need to learn in life, the most important thing that we all need to know is to share the gospel. And here's why, because so much is at stake. Every time that we share the gospel with someone, we are literally giving them an opportunity to live Or to die. But really, here is what evangelism really is it's sharing God's love. I think sometimes we we make it a lot more and a lot bigger than that. You know, it's very simple. It's sharing God's love. It doesn't matter your education, it doesn't matter what your gifting is. If you yourself have been touched by the love of God, you too can share your faith. 
is the truth. But you know what? It's hard for people to accept God's love until they first accept human love. That's just the way we are. And so it's important that we spend time sharing our faith. But with that being said, I'll be honest. There are some obstacles to sharing our faith. And here's one of them. Lifestyle witnessing. You ever heard of that before? We tell people, listen, I'm going to witness with my lifestyle. That, that my lifestyle speaks for itself. And I think, yeah, that's true. But the Bible tells us that it really does take having a conversation with someone to be a witness. When we lie and we gossip and we cheat, what are we saying? What are we witnessing? Are we really witnessing about Jesus? Are we witnessing about us? We need to be careful about how we live our lives. Are we telling the truth about Jesus? Or when they hear us, are we telling the truth about ourselves? Here's another one. Sometimes I think that that we want to evangelize the mind. Here's what I mean by that. Sometimes we want to tell a person how much we know about God in the Bible instead of who we know, the God about the Bible. We want to tell them the X, Y, Z's of salvation, which is all the rules and all the regulations, instead of the ABC's of the gospel, which is God is love. God is forgiving. And God is accepting. The Holy Spirit is the one that opens up their eyes. It's not us. Here's one more fear. How many of you ever been afraid of sharing your faith? We've all been afraid before. It's one of the great things that the enemy keeps us from sharing our faith. Oh, you're going to mess it up. Oh, you're not, you're not qualified to tell anyone. We're afraid of being rejected. I understand that. Particularly today in our new cancel culture, right? Today, if you whip your kids, you get DSS called on you. You stand up for your faith. You get, you get drug into jail. You witness on your job and you lose your job. But nonetheless, God still calls us to witness and tell people about his love, about Jesus, about the redemption. It's important. Our lack of faith. Our own lack of faith. I think sometimes that, that we don't believe that this person actually will accept Christ. They're just too far gone. They're too bad. A lot of times I think it's us that's in the way. We don't believe they'll accept Christ so many times that we don't bother. The gospel, it says in the Bible that it's powerful to save. So we have to do our part. Like I said earlier, the Holy Spirit is the one that opens the eyes. Here's another one. And I think this one is probably the biggest reason. Our own lack of love. I think it's the number one reason why people are not saved today. One sign of us not evangelizing, sharing the gospel, is that our own hearts have began to grow cold. Do you remember what it was like when someone shared the gospel with you and you heard it for the first time? Something strange began to happen in your heart. That thing that was dead began to kind of come alive. Do you remember that? And over time, you know, we learn stuff and we go to church. And we just simply begin to grow cold and we let things of this world take precedence over Jesus' love for the world. I don't know about you, 
But sometimes I can get so comfortable that I need to preach the gospel to my own heart to remind me of why I'm even in this relationship with Jesus. All of us can get comfortable. Don't you turn to John 4. We're going to look at 1 through 42 because I want to show you how Jesus shared the good news. John chapter 4, 1 through 42. Now, this story begins with Jesus is going around and he's making disciples. And he has so much success at sharing the gospel that it began creating this jealousy over here with John the Baptist's disciples. And Jesus was on his way to go to this place. And when he heard about this, he knew that the Pharisees would be, would be there. And they wanted to question him. So instead, Jesus said, I'm not going there. That he turned and he went back to Galilee. He went back to Galilee to share the gospel about himself. You know, I think for me, sermons on evangelisms are like sermons on prayer. They're all different. You know, and everybody does it differently. We're all wired differently. So the question is not so much how you do it, but are you willing to do it? Are you going to share the gospel? But if I wanted to share the gospel, if I really wanted to know how to do it, I would think Jesus would be the best teacher in the world, wouldn't you? That's who I'd want to learn it from. So I'm going to start reading in 1, it's through 42. Just sit back and enjoy. It says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but it was his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had gone through Samaria, so he came to a town in Samaria called Shekar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from his journey, he sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said, You are a Jew, and I'm a Samaritan woman. How could you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was that asked you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, You have nothing to draw with, and the well is so deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself? And did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. The woman said, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus told her, Go call your husband and come back. She said, I have no husband. Jesus says, You're right when you say you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man you are now with is not your husband. What you just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews, Jesus says. Yet, a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I am the one speaking to you. I am he. And just then his disciples returned, and they were surprised to find him talking to a woman. But no one asked, what do you want? Why are you talking to her? Then leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town and said to the people, Come see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and they they made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, Could someone have brought him some food? My food, Jesus said, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until the harvest. Jesus says, I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They're ripe for the harvest. Even now, the the one who draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper can be glad together. There's an old saying, one sows and another weeps. It's true. I sent you to reap what you've not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them. And he stayed about two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the savior of the world. Now I want to take this long story and kind of pick some pieces out of it and show you how Jesus actually evangelized and sharing the good news about himself. In verses 1 and 2, it says here that, that Jesus left Judea and he went back to Galilee. Many times what we want to do is we want to wait for an opportunity to share the gospel to come to us instead of being like Jesus and going where we'll make opportunities for ourselves. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but we can be so set in our plan. We are so focused on accomplishing our own agenda that we've left no room in our life for sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. And we look in verses 4 through 6. It says here that Jesus, he says, now he had to go through Samaria. Jesus, like us, he was busy. He had some place that he had to be. In this town of Shekhar, it was not on the way to Galilee. No, it was far from it. It wasn't even the closest route to where Jesus was going. I'll tell you that true evangelism many, many times and winning souls will cause you, I promise, to delay your plans or even go out of your way to win the loss. Loving souls like Jesus is going to inconvenience you. It just will. Be prepared for it. It's not always easy and it's not always on a set schedule. We should do it as we go, but never miss an opportunity. And if you can, create an opportunity. Verses 7 and 8, I I see here it says, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? Listen, people are smart enough 
to know real when they see it. Do y'all know real when you see it? Y'all do, right? We see real all the time. It's all over Facebook. I think many times when we evangelize, my gosh, we come off as papas and arrogant, don't we? Like we have all of our life together. Do all of y'all have your life together? I don't know. I have all of my life together either. But I want you to notice what Jesus does. Jesus, he sits down and he puts himself in this place of need. He asks this woman for a drink. Listen, Jesus could have made that water come up out of that well like a soda fountain, couldn't he? But he did. He puts himself in a place of need. And then he shows her the need that she has. See, we need to be humble when we're sharing the gospel. Because we all need God's help. And you've heard this be said before. It says that sharing the gospel is simply this. It's just one beggar telling another beggar where they can find food. That's really what it is. We look at verses 9 and 11. And this woman says to Jesus, you're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How in the world can you ask me for a drink? I think soul winning today is less because we just don't spend any time with the lost. We spend all our time with people like us. Jesus was a Jew. This woman was a a Samaritan woman. Jesus wouldn't even have spoken to this woman, let her own drink from her unclean cup. But I think many times that we have to. Sometimes we're more concerned, I think, of being contaminated than we are being compassionate with people. And we need to share the good news of the gospel. Verses 12 through 15. One particular thing I see here that the lady says, Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as also his sons and his livestock? Now here's Jesus. She's just simply carrying on this conversation. And oftentimes evangelism takes place in this converse of dialogue. We're just talking and hanging out with people. But many times what we want to do is that we want to do all the talking. Jesus, he listens to what the woman says and then he responds. Because many times when you're evangelizing, you're talking to people, you'll begin to hear false ideas, false belief systems. And if you're doing all the talking, you can't help that person and begin to tear down those false things that they believe and what they're living by. I look further down in verse 19. I see this woman says, Sir, Oh, I see you're a prophet. Could you imagine what it would be like being in a conversation with Jesus who knows everything? Jesus mentions her five husbands right off the bat. And immediately, boy, she gets defensive, doesn't she? Could you imagine? Listen, it's, it's hard for a person when, when we begin to talking about Jesus and, and, and sin and stuff like that. We can get defensive too. It can be a little uncomfortable for people, I think we need to keep that in mind. But I don't know about you. When my sin gets exposed, it's uncomfortable. Is it uncomfortable for you? Yeah, it's uncomfortable. I think we need to keep that in mind. But you notice what she does. Immediately she tries to change the subject. She deflects. So you need to expect that. I've witnessed to people. And man, I've heard some of the dumbest deflections you've ever heard. Like, could God create a rock too heavy for him to lift? Anything for us just not to keep talking about Jesus. 
It says here, and finishing up in 18, it says, he said, the fact is you have five husbands. The man you have now, he's not your husband either. What you said is quite true. There's an old saying that says, tact is being able to make a point without making an enemy. Now, Jesus didn't shy away from this topic of sin, and we shouldn't either. I don't think it should always be the the main focus. It should be our, our priority of strategy. But I think, my God, sometimes we're just too brutal with people when we want to share God's love. I've seen people burn a bridge in someone before they even build one. Most people want to hear about how much you care about them until you want to tell them why you care about them. So I think we need to be careful with that. I know the Bible tells me that it's the kindness of the Lord that leads a person to repentance, not a club. I've seen well-intentioned Christians share the gospel, and they will unload both gospel barrels. Now, they win the argument, but they lose the soul that they were really trying to reach for Jesus. So we need to be kind. Verses 21 through 24. It says here that Jesus replied, Believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You know, rarely do we meet someone who has not been to church. They know what happens inside these walls, don't they? People, people, we're in the South, right? And so people have preconceived ideas about church. They know that Baptists are wound too tight and Pentecostals are wound too loose. They know that. We don't have to tell them. True? That's, what, that's pretty basic, right? Pretty basic, yeah. I think what we, where we really mess up is too often is that we want to tell people about how great our church is instead of how great our Jesus is. And listen, it doesn't matter whether they end up at CFM or not. It don't matter. It doesn't matter at all. If you look at this scripture, it says Jesus, it shows that he was more interested of how people worship him instead of where they worshiped him. That's what it says. And finally, it says in verses 35 through 37, he's talking about how one reaps and one sows. It says that so the the sower and the reaper, if, if they each do their part, that they can be glad together. I think we need to remember that evangelism is a process. It's not always a a one and done. There's a season for planting and there's a season for harvest. Sometimes you'll be the seed planter. Other times you'll get to be the sickle. But you need to remember the doctor's oath. And the doctor's oath is this. Do no harm. If you are in a position to share the gospel, don't ruin an opportunity for the harvester down the road. Jesus allowed this woman to walk away. Do you realize that? And then she came back. We need to allow people to walk away. Don't be so pushy. Jesus was firm, but I don't believe that he was pushy. You say, well, Bill, how does God use the gospel to evangelize a person's heart? Here's what it says in Mark 16. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. God gave you and I a commission 
He told us to go and preach the gospel. You cannot preach the gospel without opening your mouth. You cannot. Your lifestyle alone is not enough. God uses us in a plan of salvation. And the gospel, the Bible said, man, it's powerful to save. And it's like this seed. This is a mango seed. It's big enough so y'all can, y'all can see it. When we speak the word of God, the seed, the good seed of the gospel, the Bible says that this good seed, that it goes out. And because it's good and because it's incorruptible, that it lands on a dead heart of a believer. And then the Holy Spirit comes and he presses the seed into the, that dead heart soil of someone who don't know Jesus yet. And the Holy Spirit actually convinces and convicts the person about the truth about God, the truth about themselves and their need for a Savior. And the Holy Spirit, because they spoke in this word, this good seed, it brings hope for the very first time to the heart of someone who is lost. That same Holy Spirit enables that person to believe that the gospel is true. That person accepts Christ. And then the Holy Spirit saves and seals that person. And the Holy Spirit is the glue of the gospel that binds that person to Jesus and to the Father until his return. But if we never speak this good seed, we never speak the gospel, the person remains dead in their sin. If we will do the practical... God will do the supernatural. We have to do our part. The Holy Spirit will, will do the rest. You say, well, Bill, what should motivate us? Anything in life, when it pertains to God, something has to motivate us. And it has to be something bigger than ourselves. Turn to First Peter 3.15, if you will. 1 Peter 3.15. Here's what it says. It says, But in your hearts revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. You know, I think many times that we ask this question. Do you love the lost enough to evangelize? I think that's the wrong question. I think the the answer to the question is, listen, do you love Jesus enough? Because Jesus loves souls. And if you love Jesus and you walk with him, you'll be compelled to share the gospel. But this word revere means to hold in high esteem, in reverence. That's what it means, in the highest regard. I've been married, I think it is right, going on 36 years. 36 years. When I first met Terry, man, I was just enamored. Fell in love, head over heels. I couldn't wait to tell all my friends about my new girl. I just couldn't. I couldn't wait. I talked about her all the time. I wanted to tell other people. And naturally, I wanted to please her. 
And see, it's the same thing when you're in love with Jesus. When you're in love with Jesus, you naturally want to please him. You naturally want to make him happy. And what makes him happy is when people who are lost become found. That makes Jesus happy. And so I want to ask you this morning, do you love what Jesus loves? Jesus loves souls. He's always loved souls. People you work with, people you go to school with, people that you shop with. Listen, the outward call of repentance will always bring a person to Christ. God uses us. We're, we're part of the equation, and we need to do our part. You, me, are responsible for sharing the gospel. That's our job. Only God can change the heart. The question is, if you've done your best, if you've done it, then you can safely and securely let God do the rest. But our job is to share it. Father, we thank you for goodness and grace over our life. Lord, that you would burden, uh, Lord, our hearts with simply moving and sharing the gospel about Jesus Christ. And for those Lord, that don't know you yet. Your word said that they're ready. The question is, Lon, are we ready? Are we ready? Are we willing to, to do everything that you've commanded us? And so God, help us to encourage us, to stir us up, to give away what we have. And Father, we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.